Welcome to the first episode of the second season of Sustainably Speaking Beyond the Ola, a student-led IIEE podcast. I'm your host, Justine, and today we'll be talking about eco-anxiety. I am thrilled to be launching this second season with an Insti Insight episode. And today at this table, I am lucky to have three wonderful guests that are all students at Lund University that will be discussing with us. Janice, Luis and Medini, welcome to this episode and thank you for coming. So maybe to start up this podcast, I would like you guys, Medini, Luis and Janice to present yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? What are you studying right now? What's your background and how did you get there? Um, hi, Justine. Uh, thank you for having me here. I'm Medhini Aigur. I'm from Bangalore, India, and I'm now based in Sri Lanka. I'm a second-year MESPOM student, which is the Masters of Environmental Science, Policy and Management, which is an Erasmus program. Uh, my background uh, was in architecture before I made a switch to agriculture and food in the last five years. Thank you, Justine, and hello, everyone listening to that. I'm Luis Bonvini. Um, I'm Brazilian, based in the capital of Brazil, so Brasilia, right in the middle of the country. I'm now in Sweden doing my master in environmental management and policy. I'm part of the batch study. And my background is a lot in political science. That's what I have studied before. And nowadays I work with social impactful businesses and new economies. Hello, um, my name is Janice Swan. Justine, thank you so much for having me. This is super exciting to be on a little student podcast like this. Um, I am from Canada, um, a very small town called Gatineau, um, which is close to Ottawa, kind of close to Montreal too, but very, very small town. Um, right now I'm doing my master's in environmental studies and sustainability science. So the LUMAS program. Um, but my background is in international development and globalization. Uh, and maybe I will introduce myself as well. Uh, I am Justine Aubrignon. I am French. Uh, I am doing the same program as Louis, which is environmental management and policy. Uh, and I have a background mostly business oriented, but I've also been working for different startups and organizations that were very um, environmental oriented, so to say. So let's get started with the actual questions uh, for that roundtable. Um, so my first question, and I guess I kind of know the answer since I invited you here, um, but have you all been feeling eco-anxiety? Yes, definitely. Um, I think for me, it comes in waves usually, um, and it's definitely something that I have felt and is just kind of always in the back of my mind. For me, it's actually funny. Because when I was thinking about this topic earlier today, um, I just realized that normally I try to keep myself out of the news just to kind of like not see that much of what's going on around the world. And But that's funny because at the same time I'm studying that and that's part of my job to think about it. So for me, I have this dual relationship with the topic which is i want to keep myself out of what's going on but at the same time i need to keep myself updated yeah i think i have to agree um i think every time there is news about the hottest day or there's wildfires in australia and canada and i think the reports uh, that just kind of remind us of how long we have to turn things around um, i think this feeling of eco-anxiety kicks in 
Um, and I must say that I think it's amplified a lot more for us because we're in this sustainability bubble where we keep hearing these things a lot more regularly. Um, so that definitely adds to it. Okay, thank you for, for that first uh, answer. Um, I also would like to ask you, would you guys be able to give us your own definition of what, like how you would define it for yourself? Ooh, I think that's a <laughs> tricky question because it's different for everyone. Um, for me, it's all about feeling powerless. So feeling powerless about what you see and what we're going to face, but not just what we're going to face, but things that we are already facing. If I see and if I open the news now, you're going to see like things happening all around the world back home and that just feel powerless to see the things happening and we don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree. Um, I think for me, it is this feeling of doom and that the world is going to end within our lifetimes. Um, and again, I think it's this feeling of helplessness that's coupled with like frustration, uh, mainly I think because of the lack of action um, for a challenge that, that we're, that's right in front of our eyes. Yeah, I totally agree. I think those are such great definitions. And I know there's definitely other people who could provide a much more compelling definition than me. Um, but I think I would describe it as this like specific manifestation of like a feeling of being overwhelmed or stressed just from the pressure of being one of the first generations who's really experiencing the effects of anthropogenic climate change. And maybe the last generation who has this like narrowing window um, to do something about it. Um, it's also kind of unique because it's a little bit more of like a slow moving anxiety, one where you can't always pinpoint like one specific specific moment of trauma, but it's more just like the slow burn of watching this existential threat unfold around us. And like you guys mentioned before, just like a, an overwhelming frustration associated with inaction. Mm -hmm. I think I, I really like all your definitions and I, I really can resonate in that. Um, and I think I really agree on the feeling like of doom and helplessness when you're just out there and you don't really know what to do. And And you just feel like you don't have any political power or, or like speech power for, for to change anything. Um, and so it's it's very overwhelming and it's all this flow of information that you don't know what to do about. And I think, Janice, I really resonate on your um, narrowing window kind of thing, uh, which is basically the clock is ticking and we don't have much time to just be around tables and, and discuss pointless politics or whatever. Mm -hmm. So we have to get into action and, and this is very important. So now I will give a bit more of, of data and context about eco-anxiety and what it implies. Uh, I'll try to keep it short, um, but I think it's important to get some uh, backgrounds about that. Um, but doing my research before the podcast, I've seen that the IPCC report uh, actually did a section about human health. Um, and they state that there are direct climate-related mental health issues and indirect ones. So the direct climate anxiety or mental health issues um, are usually caused after impacts because of a natural disaster, for example, like drought, flood, uh, wildfire, and that could also create a lot of, of effects on mental health and uh, anxiety in general. Uh, and this could also go to progressive effects, which is, for example, when there is a heat wave, um, you would not sleep well for several nights, but then the lack of sleep accumulated can actually impact your mental health so much. And this is also one of the things that they're mentioning in the IPCC report. A second effect is more 
indirect climate, mental health uh, issues or anxiety that are related. Uh, and there are different anxiety related to climate change, but obviously today we'll be talking about eco-anxiety since it is the best known and the most talked about. It is still quite an emerging field of study for psychologists, and there is an obvious lack of data and theory on the topic. And this is what makes it so difficult to actually quantify the effects of eco-anxiety on our mental health globally, but also what does it really imply? Is it a real feeling that we are having, or is it just us yeah, getting too overwhelmed with, with all of those information? Um, to also give you a bit of better inputs and insight on eco-anxiety, I found a definition uh, watching a TED talk uh, before preparing this uh, roundtable. It was a TED talk by Lynn Stoller, uh, who's an entrepreneur, and her definition really resonates into me. She defined eco-anxiety as the chronic fear of environmental cataclysm and the resulting concern for your future or the one of future generations. And I feel like it really resonates because it is the feeling where you see that something is happening around you, climate change, biodiversity loss, intense climate disasters, pollution, and so on. And it becomes very scary since you don't actually know what awaits for you. And this is also where I feel like eco-anxiety can lead some people to say, okay, I will not have kids because I don't know what awaits for the future. I don't know what happens for the next generations. Also, before the recording of this podcast, I looked at a study um, done by The Lancet, which is a peer-reviewed medical journal. And they have been conducting a study with 10,000 children and young people between 16 and 25-year-olds in 10 different countries. Across all countries, they came up with the result that people are overall worried about climate change. That's a given. That's a fact. They also added that 59% of the respondents were very or extremely worried about climate change and 84 were at least moderately worried. Now, let's talk about emotions, because this is what anxiety is, right? So emotions are here to make us move, to make us go forward, and they're here to help us to adapt to our environment and to different situations. So that means that anxiety is here to help us comfort uncertainties and to anticipate. So it is a potentially useful emotion. And so... That would mean that anxiety and emotions are a good thing, right? When it's too, not too overwhelming, obviously. Yet 45% of the responded said that eco-anxiety and the feeling related to it is affecting their daily life and functioning. So it can then become difficult for them to deal with, with it if it's too overwhelming. In this study, they also mentioned that 50% of the respondent reported each of the following emotions. Sad, anxious, angry, powerless, helpless and guilty. So maybe here we can stop for a second and I would like to ask you if there is anything that you would like to add or you would like to reflect on those emotions. Do you feel like it's something that you have been feeling and that make you go forward or did you feel like it stopped you from something? Are those emotions that you've been feeling and that didn't help you? Janice, if you want to share something. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think anger is a really interesting one for me um, out of the ones that you listed because it is seen at times as quite like illegitimate and quite like negatively connotated. Um, but in actuality, I think, it, you know, in this case of, of climate change and the climate crisis, it is so justified. And I think it is an emotion that needs to be explored and needs to be validated um, more than it is right now. And at least for me, it can actually be the source of, of helping me move forward. Yeah, for me, I feel like if I needed to choose a word, I would say hopeless. Just because sometimes I feel that um, when I am thinking about that, that 
everything that is going on around the world and everything that is happening when we talk about like climate mm -hmm. change or um, environmental stuff. What comes to my mind is that like I sometimes feel guilty of like the things that I'm doing or when I'm in the supermarket or when mm -hmm. I'm out with friends or when I'm talking to my family. I sometimes just feel guilty about the things that um, and maybe we're doing and that are not actually helping the planet. Mm -hmm. And this moment when I feel guilty sometimes leads me to again feel hopeless of things not changing. And that just starts to make kind of like a round trip in my head of like going mm -hmm. from guiltnesses to hopelessness and <laughs> that's that's something that really like mm. makes something in my mind when i think about it mm -hmm. <laughs> and i think um like louis said like for me the wishes cycle is between helplessness and frustration um and every time i feel helpless um, I get frustrated because I feel like I'm too small to make a difference. And then when I get frustrated, I feel even more helpless. Um, so like Louis said, I think for me as well, it's like a vicious cycle that just keeps going on. And I don't know if it helps me go forward or backwards, but it just exists. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, sometimes it just gets difficult to deal with those, those emotions. And I mean, yeah. in life in general, but especially with eco-anxiety where you feel like, what can I do? I'm so small at the end of the day. Like, I'm just one little peep out there. Um, but and yeah. sometimes I just feel that like, we need to remember that it cannot stop you. Mm -hmm. And I need to remember myself like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm feeling that way but how can it not stop me of mm -hmm. actually doing something? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and that like these emotions just are so natural. Like we are humans and we're gonna have yes. these feelings and we can't always control them and mm -hmm. might as well try to, to make the best of them mm -hmm. when, they, when they come around. Yeah, agreed on that. Now, going back to the study, I have one last fact that I would like to share with it, which is maybe not the most positive one, but they came out with the conclusion that 75% of youth feels like the future is frightening due to climate change. And 83% said that people fail to take care of the planet. So these are kind of difficult statement to hear. But now let's go back to the questions and let hopefully make that podcast a little bit more positive. Um, but I would like to ask you if you would like to share some moments where you have been feeling eco-anxiety. Do you remember the first time it happened or like the last time? Luis, would you like to share that with us? I think I can say the first time that I felt that, but I can definitely say that I have been feeling that for a while, since I was a kid. And I remember like growing up and being that person that was always afraid of what I was seeing in the news or when people were talking about like, things that were happening, um, I would just feel like so, wow, what's going on out there? And I remember like thinking that if something like this happened to my family what is going to happen you know like what can i do mm. and funny part is that i always thought about how can i save my dogs if something like this it's hard when you think about it um so i have always been this kid i think that were thinking about like okay all of this is happening and no one is actually like seeing this. I was like, am I really the only one that is seeing what's happening out there? But at the same time, I was feeling that people, even though they were seeing or they were feeling what's, what was going on out there, they were just not caring. And that was like what I was feeling. So I don't know if they were caring or not. I was just like feeling that they were not caring. Um, so sometimes I just like 
feel that anger of like, hey, you're seeing what's happening, so mm -hmm. why are you not taking actions? And that connects a little bit of like nowadays when I think about having social media and like when I see the platform that I have in my social media to actually talk to my friends, talk to family, talk to those people that sometimes I just felt that they would not know or they would not be taking action. And sometimes I just wanna go to my social media and be like, hey everyone, are you not seeing that? So like, mm. what's going on out there? Like, please take action. But at the same time, it kind of like stops me of, uh, because I have also this fear of like being the person that is always like, hey, no one is doing anything, like the world is gonna end and we're not doing anything. So I don't wanna be that person as either. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's just like, uh, am I doing too much or mm -hmm. am I doing enough? Mm -hmm. So I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, it's, um, hard to feel that mm -hmm. and just like as an experience as you ask for that um i remember two weeks ago, not that i remember but i experienced something two weeks ago i went for a work trip i had a meeting in greece and um, it was kind of crazy out there because apparently from what the Greek people in the group said, normally Greece is not really used to have um, thunderstorms or things like this. And for the past few weeks or months, they have been having those kind of thunderstorms in the country mm -hmm. and many places were just flooding. And I remember I was there in one, uh, one day of the conference and all of us received a message from the government just saying like, take care, don't get out of your house tomorrow if you can, because things are going to happen. And then everyone was like, what? Mm -hmm. um, what's going on here? And then the Greeks in the group, they were just like, yeah, um, that's not like, let's wait a little bit to have more information. But yes, that's something that it's happening here because we're basically not used to the weather mm -hmm. that we are facing right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, for me, it was just like super interesting at the same time as, Threat, threatening or like, you know, like being in the situation where you're outside of your country, you're in a different place w where you know nothing about this place. And then um, you're just experiencing a situation of like, okay, if I leave my place, maybe I cannot come back. Mm -hmm. And you were mm -hmm. just like, an mm. interesting situation to be at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also can kind of tie my back to, to my childhood, like you mentioned before, um, that I don't remember the first time that I actually experienced it, but I remember the first time I witnessed somebody experiencing it. Um, I was in the second grade and our teacher gave a little lecture on acid rain. Um, and I just remember one of my classmates having like such a visceral reaction to it and mm. just being so upset at all of these facts. And at first I definitely was like, okay, what's going on over there? <laughs> why, why are you reacting so strongly about this? Um, but then like through her reaction, it caused me to reflect on it a little bit more. And I went, no, that actually is really messed up. And that is really, really tragic. So her reaction kind of like um, informed my impression of like the severity of like this specific environmental hazard. Um, and ever since then, that's just been something that's kind of like mm -hmm. stuck with me. Um, 
and more recently too, I mean, there have been so many signs of like ecological breakdown all over the world. Um, you know, in Canada, there were wildfires in like the Okanagan and in Yellowknife, um, as well as in northern Quebec, which is just north of where my parents live. Um, and I had a very hard time seeing pictures, you know, of our front yard where you can't even see anything visibly because there's so much wildfire smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents telling me that they were having to wear N95 masks for a few weeks when they would just go outside and walk our dogs. And then my brother, who's a construction worker, couldn't work for a while because of the smoke. And then later in the summer he couldn't work because it was too hot out so all of these things you know it just made for quite a like rough Mm. summer for myself but I think for for everybody like these things were happening all over the world um and it it definitely led to some some pretty stressful moments Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think um I have a bit of a different experience I think with this um because I think growing up my awareness about climate change was a bit superficial in general. Um, I think mainly because it just wasn't a very talked about topic back home um, when I was growing up. And I think my only exposure to sustainability was like sustainable architecture, but that was more like a style of architecture than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I personally became a lot more interested and involved Uh, with environmental events and ongoings when I got into organic farming. So that Mm -hmm. was kind of my window into this world. Um, And also, I think there was a lot of learning through this whole process for me personally, not just with like agriculture and food, but also like climate change and all the sort of factors that contribute to it. Um, And, you know, like they say, the more you get involved in something, the more it can also affect you Um, and especially I think with the negative things and I think I vividly remember the first time um, I could pinpoint and say that this was eco-anxiety and that was I think in Jan 2020 Um, and there were wildfires in Australia and there were all of these videos and photographs that were coming out um, of like dead uh, wildlife and burnt Mm -hmm. wildlife Um, and also at the same time I think in New Delhi there was... um, like the AQI in Delhi was at an all-time high and there were kids having to wear N95 masks and there were warnings about, you know, respiratory issues. And I think both of that uh, really triggered something in me. And I vividly remember that one month being so bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I, I would say pretty much like you guys, it has been in my mind, like since I'm a kid probably. And I feel like maybe our generation, I mean, I guess we're pretty much the same age. <laughs> roughly uh, at least in our 20s um but yeah I, I i would say like i feel like it has always been in our head because we've been seeing that since we we're kids and on the news and the tv and everything um so like i couldn't say i remember the exact first time but i i remember the last time that i realized um that it was still 20 degrees in Sweden in October, mm-hmm. which is not normal. Mm-hmm. And also that it was still like summer weather at home, like in France, it was still like 30 degrees beginning of October. This is not normal. It shouldn't be happening. So it's much more than just seeing disturbing image. I mean, I agree with you, obviously, Madini, like seeing those disturbing image, but also when you also see something close even closer to you and you're like oh what can I do about this well not much apparently I mean I'm trying but like yeah and also like Janice you mentioned wildfire in Canada and also like I know in France we often have wildfires but like last summer in 2022 there was fires in places that have never burned before in forests that have been here for like I don't know 100 years uh, and they had never burned so it's just like yeah very frustrating as we mentioned like earlier like that helplessness feeling of 
I'm out here, yes, I'm an environmental student, but like, what am I doing concretely? This is very difficult to, to grasp. I have another question for you is that we are all from different countries and even different continents. So with very different climate, very different, like, you know, habits. Um, how would you say that eco-anxiety would feel for you back home? Um, Medini, would you like to start maybe? Mm-hmm. Um, I think in India, just the term eco-anxiety or even the concept isn't very common. Um, And I think I can safely extend this to a lot of countries in the global south as well. Um, And it actually isn't even discussed that much, um, especially when you compare to how this topic is dealt with in like like developed countries or the global north countries. Um, Not to say that there's no awareness about um, like climate change or environmental issues back home, both in like India and Sri Lanka for me. But I think there's a lot there are a lot more complex problems um, that people have to deal with. um, And this kind of extends in all spectrums, be it economic, Mm -hmm. political or social. So I think just generally there's a lot of anxiety that people have to deal with um, and that takes up a lot of our mental and emotional bandwidth. Um, So if you are going through eco-anxiety, I would say that it is a privileged form of anxiety Mm -hmm. um, and it is confined to a much smaller segment in the society. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with Medini Mm -hmm. and like coming also from the global south and like I feel that sometimes in our context of developing countries, um, we have so many things that feel more urgent um, to talk about that focusing on that makes me feel a little foolish. Like sometimes mm-hmm. when I'm talking to friends or when I'm talking to other people about um, eco-anxiety, it's like, am I foolish by mm-hmm. talking about that instead of like talking about more important things? Like, and I know that this is super important. I know that like, this is a topic that we should be talking about. And even though I know the importance of that, sometimes I, it just stops me of mm-hmm. doing so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would say my in my experience or my level of eco-anxiety hasn't really changed. And I think that's such a reflection of what you both have, have been talking about. Um, and it is just a reflection of my experience being from like a privileged global North country. And I guess here in Sweden, I just kind of feel at home because there's so many parallels between what's happening in Sweden and what's happening in Canada. Um, in terms of like the rise of right wing politics and just these like massive rollbacks on environmental policies and our continued support of like fossil fuel infrastructure. So um, my my level of anxiety, I think, has stayed the same um, and and the sources of it are, are kind of playing out in the same way that they are in Sweden as they were back home in uh, in Canada. Mm-hmm. I think I, I would say also as a, as a global nor- north um, country person, I I feel like my level of anxiety has stayed the same or even decreased a little since I arrived in Sweden. Um, I mean, since like, it feels like Sweden is already doing a like has done a lot in terms of environmental policies, for example. I mean, yeah, as you said, Janice, they're coming back and, and this is something that triggers a bit of anxiety uh, in me. But I feel like Sweden has already been doing a lot compared to my home country. Um, and sometimes it feels like I'm even unconsciously putting a blind on to be like, oh, okay, it's it's going better, it's going better. Like some countries are doing really good jobs. So like, yeah, this is going fine. And then this is kind of a bad point because then I kind of forget like about the rest of the world. And, and this is not necessarily a good thing. But I think it's also probably my brain trying to protect me from like, you know, you see kind of a good thing. So you just, yeah, 
hung on to it and and you just forget to see about everything else that is happening um but yeah as soon as i would reopen social media i will be mm. okay yeah. actually not so good <laughs> yeah, no. um but yeah, but talking of social media, um, is there anything that you would say could trigger your eco-anxiety uh, on a daily basis, Medini? Um, I think for me, it's the news and that's the biggest culprit. Mm, um, especially, yeah. I think, the breaking news uh, notifications that I constantly get on my phone mm. <laughs> um, about like climate-induced disasters. Um, but then on the other hand, I also read a lot of articles and papers and I watch a lot of documentaries about this. So I don't think I'm mm. helping myself. <laughs> yeah i agree medini definitely the news is is a big one um and i think anytime like any sort of important ipcc or un report comes out like i think in, in 2022 there was a report on impacts adaptation and vulnerabilities and that one was rough mm -hmm. <laughs> that one was not easy to read yeah yeah also i would agree on news and especially social media. I'm a very social media person. Mm. Um, but also it feels like on social media, especially the more you follow people that are talking about environmental topics, the more you see things and the more you have that feeling that, oh my God, there is actually so much happening and I want to take part of everything, but you actually can't. And like, yeah, it just it just gets overwhelming. I think that would be the, the real trigger, yeah. And also, as, as Medini said at the beginning, I feel like now that we are all environmental students, um, it feels like the more knowledge we get, the more anxious we get. Uh, and I remember last year, during my first year of EMP, I would just go home and be like, I can't take any information anymore for the day. Like this, this was just too much. And we're just learning so much about what's happening on the climate, um, like climate topics, obviously policy topics, uh, all that kind of stuff. And you just out there with all those information that you don't know what to do about. So it's just, yeah, it just gets very overwhelming as well. Even to study that, we chose that path, <laughs> but it just creates even more anxiety. And it's just, yeah, you don't know what to do anymore. Yeah, and I feel that like if I can contribute to that, I feel that being now this, n not just now, but like being this person that is always thinking about what's going on in the environment, what's going on out there in the world, um, when you see the conversations and how they're being hosted or how they are being like managed, sometimes I just feel that like it's such in a shallow way. Mm -hmm. um, so like you don't go deep in the conversation. It's very superficial sometimes. And don't take me wrong. I'm not saying that I know everything <laughs> and that like when you have a conversation with me, you're going to get like a lot of information. Because <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that like sometimes when I see like especially these really important people or people that are like in charge of our world basically. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you see... Uh, the level of like awareness and the level of like how to talk about this environmental stuff. Mm -hmm. I just like feel even more anxious of feeling that these people, they are not addressing that. Mm -hmm. They are simply like mm. making that a background, but not actually like addressing the real thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also maybe like to kind of jump on that but not completely but I don't know if that's I guess that's also something we've been feeling but you're talking with relatives or closed ones and you're trying to explain what you're studying or, or like that you're working you wish to work in environmental um, topics and they just look at you and be like why or like why would you do that and I'm like well I don't know because yeah and you just try to explain things and you feel like you're not understood mm -hmm. and it just increased that anxiety because you're just like okay so it means that like even people that are close to me don't 
like really understand like the stakes mm -hmm. and it feels like that taking clock is just yeah it's just, yeah it's just gonna go so fast and we're just such a few people yeah mm. i think that's also like a big feeling that triggers eco-anxiety yeah. yeah definitely yeah and sometimes even with like when you're having conversations with people who have been in like sustainability or like the climate field for mm -hmm. a while um or just you know in general people who who care about the climate change but might have a very different vision of where we go from here you know that's totally fine that we can disagree on on things but there i've definitely had some moments where I, I've been slightly concerned and that has made me very, very stressed of just knowing that certain people in, in these positions of powers, like you mentioned, Louise, before, um, and, and you know, future decision makers um, sometimes just have very shallow and, and like unnuanced takes. Mm -hmm. and, and that is definitely something that, that gives me stress. Mm -hmm. And I think to just add to that, um, especially like I think back home, um, this is a lot more exaggerated. Um, mm. Like I said, it's like these conversations about um, climate change and environment mm -hmm. is happening only in a smaller segment of the society. So knowing that a large chunk of the population, um, this isn't their main focus, mm -hmm. is also quite scary. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. It's, yeah. Mm. So maybe to finish on a more positive note for this podcast, I would like to ask you if... You could share with us how do you actually cope with eco-anxiety? Do you have any tips that you can share with us on how to tackle it? Like, how do you get into action or, you know, how do you, yeah, fight it? Like, we don't want that eco-anxiety. It could be a good thing, but if it's too overwhelming, like, what can you do about it? Luis, you would like to share something with us? Yeah, sure. And I feel that um, I don't know if there is a way of actually if being positive about this topic, <laughs> but... Um, what I try to do normally, especially like for my inner journey in this process, it's a lot about like feeling that I'm walking the talk mm -hmm. on the things mm -hmm. that I'm actually talking about. So if I want to make any change, I just need to feel that I made that change first. Mm -hmm. So then I can actually talk to other people and to influence and to, um, actually make a bigger change in the world and I feel that that helps a lot mm -hmm. when you have confidence on what you're saying and you're actually like putting yourself out, out there and representing what you're saying. That's mm -hmm. something that really matters to me and that makes me feel happier and more confident when talking about this. Mm -hmm. And I think that also something that makes me sometimes take out of my shoulder the pressure of like, talking to other people about this topic is also understanding that other people, they come from different backgrounds, they come from different perspectives, they come from different cultures. Mm -hmm. And again, as I said before, I don't have all the answers. I'm not the most expert person when we talk about environment, climate, um, or any kind of crisis. Um, but I believe in some, some things, and I think that I understand some things in a way and I just need to understand that other people understand things mm -hmm. in another way mm -hmm. so like if I actually want to have a conversation a productive conversation where I can actually talk to this person and be heard I need to understand that like mm -hmm. probably this person has a different perspective so I don't take that all on me on like do I know everything am I bringing the right perspective or am mm. I changing the mind of this person? No, but like just being open for a conversation mm -hmm. and actually understanding where this person comes from also really helps on taking the pressure out of your shoulder and just maybe 
like give you some opportunity to mm-hmm. have a conversation and talk to other people about it without being um, so concerned of what are you talking about or mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I think joining Mespalm was one of my coping mechanisms um, <laughs> to be able to, I think, do more. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I think like for me, I tend to internalize a lot of this coping mechanism a lot more um, and try to focus on my what I can do to make myself feel better. Um, and I think before I came into Mespom, um, I would uh, do a lot to like create awareness through like my organic farm uh, and, and about food, about organic farming. Um, and also I think going into the farm itself was kind of living in like a little green bubble for me. Um, and every little thing that we did there, we would see the results and that would kind of make me feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, like whether it was planting trees or like starting like a little Miyawaki forest that would then kind of have ripple effects of like more bees in the farm or more birds in the farm. Um, and that I think um, would give me like the sense of accomplishment um, that would help me deal with the helplessness otherwise. Um, and that was really nice. And um, But also other than that, I think I consciously look for um, like work that people are doing. Um, and I think there are a lot of people doing a lot of inspiring work um, around us. Um, and I think that really helps me sort of keep my hope and keep things going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, guys, not to bring everything back to astrology, but (laughs) I'm a Virgo and like a true Virgo, I just need to unpack things and I need to be able to like figure out some kind of problem cause solution chain. And I just need to be able to articulate, especially like the who and the why of climate and social breakdown. Um, and I feel like I just always need answers, um, and finding answers and doing research is to me such an important coping mechanism not necessarily to get rid of eco-anxiety because I think sometimes finding these answers or seeking them out um, can open up Pandora's box of many other things that can make you stressed. Um, But it it is overall still just super helpful for me. And I think that's why classes don't really act as like a big trigger for me personally. Mm -hmm. They normally actually do the opposite. Um, And more often than not, they actually help me because I think the knowledge that I'm gaining is helping me kind of piece together this like massive puzzle that I have in my brain um, and gives me an idea of where I can go from here and what I can do as an individual, but also how that is very limited um, and just how important it is to engage in, in collective action and to, to have a community. Um, so yeah, my biggest takeaway, I think when I'm reflecting on climate anxiety or eco-anxiety, it's just that personally, I like kind of have come to terms or I'm at peace with the fact that it's just always going to be something that Mm -hmm. is with me forever and that I'm going to have to live with. Um, and maybe this is like a slightly hot take, but I am not always looking for like a cure for it. Mm -hmm. Um, because I don't want to become apathetic and I don't ever want to get to these point to the point where, you know, these, these images don't give me like a visceral reaction or when I'm seeing ecological breakdown, I, I don't feel any sort of stress. Um, I think that, you know, it has and it should always trigger a feeling of anxiety within us when we're seeing these things. Um, 
But of course, as we move forward with the climate crisis, these things are only going to become more prevalent. So coping mechanisms are super important to identify um, just so we make sure that the stress never hinders our ability to act and our ability to research and our ability to like empathize and work for and with each other. So um, I think finding this kind of like window of tolerance is really important, um, both to keep us within like our physical and mental limits, but also to be able to harness this anxiety as motivation to like mobilize and act. So these are at least for now some of the things that have worked for me but I think everything that you guys have said has been super helpful and um, I'm definitely looking forward to yeah using these in the future to help me cope mm -hmm. yeah I think as you said like what, what you guys have been saying has been super interesting and also I guess activism is a really good way but that's something I wish I could do and not something that I'm doing now so I couldn't tell you if it works or not uh, but I, I heard it's a great way to, to cope um, so like I guess if you have around you I don't know surf rider extinction rebellion greenpeace or whoever you want to be an activist with um, I think it's always a good way for you to uh, connect with people that are in the same like wavelength than you are and um, yeah I guess it's also a good way to go to action uh, and as as Dennis said earlier anger can sometimes lead you to good action so mm -hmm. I guess that's a good way and I feel that like when we talk about anxiety um, we should also not forget that like that's a kind of anxiety mm -hmm. it's not you're not going to feel like anything different from actually anxiety mm -hmm. And when we we're talking about like coping mechanism, it just reminded me that um, some years ago, like two years ago during pandemic, um, I started um, a TikTok account to <laughs> talk about um, mm -hmm. sustainability. Oh, okay. And cool. it started to get, uh, to get big actually. And I was getting like big numbers. Mm -hmm. um, I started to be approached by different companies to talk about this. And I was actually just like feeling feeling so anxious mm -hmm. about the pressure of, of talking about it mm -hmm. and actually like knowing all the answers and bringing knowledge that I was like, I don't know if I have this knowledge mm -hmm. to actually share in a way of um, reproducing what mm. um, I'm saying to other people mm -hmm. that I was like, I was very anxious about that. And, and now when we're talking about this in this conversation, I just feel that this was also part of my echo anxiety mm -hmm. of not feeling prepared to talk about that. Mm -hmm. It's it's not that like I was feeling a green anxiety. I was just feeling anxiety. Mm -hmm. And that's actually part of this as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And yeah. I definitely want to see that TikTok account. <laughs> yeah. Drop the TikTok I need to see it. Uh, but yeah, I guess we'll just we'll just finish on that. So I don't know if there are good ways to conclude this podcast, but I would conclude saying that after all we've been saying and to kind of sum up what we said, um, you just need to make sure that there is a balance between taking care of yourself, but also keeping yourself informed and continuing the good work that you are doing already. Um, and we also discussed many aspects and many ways of coping. So I guess it's just about finding out what works for you. Um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much all how I could conclude about uh, on this podcast. Um, I want to say thank you all for coming, Medini, Luis and Janice. It was really a pleasure to discuss with you uh, and to get your insights. Uh, and uh, yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you thank so you much. Yeah. Uh, and thank you to the listeners, obviously, of this podcast. And uh, we hope to, we hope that you enjoyed that first episode of the second season. And uh, until next time. <laughs>